Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Frost Nixon, the new Ron Howard movie from a stage play by Peter Morgan and starring Michael Sheen and Frank Langella as respectively David Frost and Richard Nixon. I'm here with John Dickerson, Slate's political reporter who's in Washington, D.C. Hi, John. Hello. And so we both saw Frost Nixon last night in two separate cities, and I have a couple questions to ask you about it because you actually saw the Washington premiere of the movie, which is sort of the spot, you know, to see this this very this movie that's sort of about the intersection of, of politics and journalism. So, first of all, let's briefly sort of summarize what the movie's about, the real event that it's based on, and so forth. What this movie is based on is a series of um, interviews that took place when Nixon was in exile. He had resigned from office. Ford had pardoned him. Uh, many in the country were furious because Nixon had never been called to account for his crimes. And the interviews essentially, um, it was the moment when Nixon basically admitted as much as he ever did, that he had participated in a cover-up and that he was at fault and he'd let the American people down. It was also an incredible media moment, of course, because it was not, this was still in the age of the three big networks. American television was ruled by, you know, those familiar names, John Chancellor, Roger Mudd, and, and Walter Cronkite. And, and yet this was an interview by an outsider, you know, a British entertainer. And so it has uh, both a role in uh, a crucial role in American history, but also in sort of American press history. And so it has all kinds of resonances with that. And I guess the third being that the the film is about essentially obstruction of justice, the role of executive power and the abuse of power. And that, of course, echoes uh, quite loudly in our current debate over President Bush and and whether he has uh, abused executive power. Uh, and so it's coming out really at a perfect time. Oh, I really want to talk about that with you, about the, the parallels that you see with you know the Bush administration. Um, but I want to start with the most obvious question to ask a political journalist and also someone I might note who was a former member of the White House press corps, which is, does this movie get at something of the truth about what it's like to interview a president or an ex-president? And what does it not get at? Well, some of the realest moments of the, of the film were in the interview. Um, basically, it's the behind the scenes, and the, and the film is done in a kind of documentary, quasi-documentary fashion. And behind the scenes, they're preparing for both sides are preparing for the questions. And what you go through this process before you interview a president or anybody who essentially doesn't want to answer your questions, and you try to fashion a question that will get at some kind of truth and that will keep the the person on the other side, the president, from launching into one of these long stories. And the problem about it, an anecdote from a politician is there's nothing to grab onto. Uh, when a politician makes a claim, you can then rebut the claim, pick off a piece and challenge it. But when they launch into an anecdote, you can't say, well, no, it wasn't the mill worker in Pennsylvania to interrupt them. And so what happens at the beginning of this is Frost, uh, it gets basically creamed by Nixon in the first series of interviews because Nixon will answer, answer a question and then in one instance answer answers it over the course of 23 minutes. And um, basically, he is able to present himself as a commanding presidential figure who is at times even funny, which is extraordinary for Nixon, who had great difficulty with uh, personal interaction. And so he completely controls the stage. And what really rang true was being on the other side of that and trying to find some toehold in the conversation to to get in there and and ask the kind of question that you've been meaning to ask or have been trying to ask for 23 minutes. And 
and also seeing the behind the scenes as Nixon's people celebrated as he just rambled on and on, much like I am in this answer, um, <laughs> without giving Frost a chance to break in. Well, wait, let me be David Frost here and interrupt you as I as you as you sit creaming me. Is that I think that those are some of the most powerful and funniest also scenes in the movie. Those early interview scenes where you see the adversarial nature of the interview really come out. It truly is a battle, and there's you know there's actually cuts to the two sides. You know the the backers, the the preparers, kind of cheering when Nixon doesn't answer a question, and you know you see the David Frost team, their faces sinking as he sinks back in his chair, looking utterly terrified. It's exactly right, and this is what this is what happens um, in, in one of these interviews because, of course, there are time, strict time limits uh, to an interview, and there are many different tricks. And the, the, the biggest difficulty is, is as an interviewer, you know the tricks that are being played against you, and and yet it's still hard without coming across as a total bully or shouting down your opponent. And in this, uh, uh, well, I said opponent, you're <laughs> the person you're interviewing. In this case, the the producers have to, in fact, pretend that they've run out of tape to interrupt. The, the interview, which is something you don't have in a print interview. When it's taped on television, you can pretend that you've run out of tape, and that that allows you to basically interrupt the subject mid-conversation, uh, right. and they did that. I guess you could um, pretend you've run out of paper is the only equivalent. <laughs> Start writing yes. on your skin. But <laughs> is, is, as much in a way, that isn't, don't you find that this is a movie about professional ambition as it is about this particular set of interviews and about Watergate and Nixon? I, just, I also love the angle of the movie that David Frost is kind of trying to make his reputation as a serious journalist when he comes from this somewhat cheesy world of hosting talk shows and um, celebrity shows and things like that. And so there's also this sort of story of David Frost recreating himself and being desperate to be taken seriously. That's exactly right. And so you see, um, and, and they are, in my view of the film anyway, but, you know, they are the t- two sides of the same coin, to use a horrible cliche, because he's trying to be, prove himself as serious. Everybody, all these journalists are, are saying, oh, he doesn't deserve to do the interview. He's just a fluffy talk show host. Even some members of his own team who are helping him research it use that same uh, pejorative to describe him. And so he's trying to, he's struggling to break through. And of course, Nixon is trying to do the same thing. And there's this turning point moment in the film where where Nixon drunk in the evening. He liked to make late-night drunken phone calls and did it to several reporters who covered him. Describes them in this same similar fashion, where they are both struggling to prove themselves and that there can only be one victor who, in fact, is able to prove themselves in this back-and-forth interview. Yeah, that late-night phone call that Nixon makes, although it's a great acting showpiece for Frank Langella, actually struck me as one of the less true moments of the movie. I found that it was it was a moment when, you know, the movie's themes were just stated outright rather than just being implicit in, in the action between the two characters. I'm just going to insert myself here. I'm June Thomas, Slate's foreign editor. And, and damn it, I have something to I, say. Exactly. And brought, brought up in Britain and I thought that was the place where the Britishness of the author really came through to the detriment of the movie which was an American movie What's you the know, Britishness of, of... Well, because for Britons, and especially for somewhat leftist Britons, like Peter Morgan... The screenwriter. The screenwriter. Everything comes down to class, which I do not disagree with, but I don't think that Richard Nixon, despite his modest background, would have known that that was something that bothered David Frost. And also, David, you know, as it happens, David Frost's background, he wasn't really working class. His father was a, a minister, so that would mean that he had gone to university, which certainly would take him out of the working class. And he had, he, he had a first from Cambridge, but still, Peter Morgan couldn't resist thinking that Nixon might have reached for that and that if he had, that would be what turned David Frost from the loser in the first three interviews to the victor. Because, you know, he finally appealed to his class consciousness or his class 
imperfection or his class weakness and therefore he you know came out fighting for the final bout it just didn't ring true to me in an american context right oh, that's fascinating what I about was, you john did you could well, you go with that scene uh, well i went with it for two two reasons one is deeply personal which is my mother was a white house correspondent at the time and and nixon once in a drunken late night evening called her wow um, wow <laughs> and um had one of these extraordinary rambling conversations about how people didn't understand him this was when there were protesters on the mall and he said those kids just don't understand me i love those kids she'd asked a question about the protesters in a press conference that day and so she suggested that he go down and talk to the protesters he in fact did at five in the morning it was a huge debacle because he went down and talked to them about football and the kids didn't give a damn about football they wanted to know about the vietnam war but so i was and and he did this. He called up Helen Thomas, a reporter also. He, he, this was his. So I immediately it rang true because I knew he had, had done it in other instances. The class thing I, I, I took in, I didn't have uh, June's smart take on it. What I matched it up with was not anything about Frost's actual cl- class upbringing, but the, the, the message in the, in the previous part of the film where it was clear he wasn't being taken serious, seriously in real time, that, that the snooty class of professional journalists and, and of those networks that were accusing him of checkbook journalism were saying, you know, you're just not in, in our league. You're, a, you're, you're just a mere enter- entertainer in the same way Nixon had had people say that to him for you know a variety of reasons, both real and imagined in his life. So I thought while it, there might not have been actual one-to-one correlation, they were both kind of underdogs struggling and against each other. And I thought it was interesting that Frost doesn't say much in that conversation. And so I was, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe he's, he's just letting him ramble on. And it was, it was a little unclear why he then, after this phone conversation, gets so motivated. Is it because he sees himself, remembers himself as a little boy being dis- discriminated against because of class or because he feels it in real time, he feels it slipping away from him because the previous several interviews have gone so badly? Yeah, that is an interesting question. Why is it that that's what fires David Frost up to have this great all-nighter? One of my favorite genre tropes is the studying montage. And then there's a huge <laughs> studying montage as he prepares for the next, next not the next day's interview, but but the next one, which he ends up nailing, of right. course, the final one about Watergate. And, and I don't quite understand why the phone call would, would make that. But wait, John, I have one, one real-life question, which is, is it, was it really the case that Nixon would often forget these phone calls like he does in the movie? Yeah, well, for two reasons. One, when he did it when he was president, he was bombed, as he is in the movie. He's had several drinks, but also because he got almost no sleep. When you read Haldeman's diaries about b- being in the White House, they're filled with, with comments about how the president, or P, as he refers to him, has gotten, you know, no sleep for several days on end. And so he would be drunk and completely uh, fatigued and so and with a few things on his mind. And so he would forget things all the time and also because one of his tricks was to, in fact, to forget things as it is with many politicians, though he took it to a high art. Wow. John, do you know, did Reston find that smoking gun? And I mean, because that's the weird thing. It's not only that... that oh, the Nixon, Charles Colson yeah, conversation? That Nixon comes out fighting and pulls the all-nighter, but that he gives the go-ahead to Reston to go to the... That Frost does, you mean? Sorry, yes, that Frost gives Reston the go-ahead to go and look in that library. I mean, that just felt like if, if that was was invented, it wasn't convincing, so it almost felt it, it had to be real. I don't know whether it was real or not. I think it was real. What I actually found unconvincing was the portrayal of it. I didn't. It hadn't been either set up enough or they spliced the interview in such a way that this aha moment 
didn't feel like an aha moment in the context of the film. You know, and I know a few things about Watergate. And the the idea was that that Reston went to to ser- search for this conversation between Nixon and Chuck Colson, which showed that Nixon was involved in the cover up long before he said he ever knew about it. You had to kind of take that on faith because as it was rolled out in the in the actual context of the interview, it didn't sort of pop the way we've all been trained by Columbo to have it pop. And that could just be a deficiency in my ability as a viewer. All right. Since this is, you know, not only a, a true record of, of true events, but also a movie, let's talk a little bit about the moviness of it and, and the performances. What did you think of Langella as Nixon and of, of Michael Sheen as David Frost? I thought uh, Langella was amazing. And Sheen, he was amazing, too. But Langella, there was a period where he – there was an intake of breath. Another great moment just from a reporter's standpoint is one of the greatest ways to get people to talk is to give them silence. And in the beginning of the film, Frost asked this question, why didn't you burn the tapes? And Kind of springing he, a surprise question, right? He was supposed it, to be talking about foreign policy. and Exactly. And he leads off with a Watergate, inter, Watergate question, which was against the agreement, and he lets it sit there. He doesn't, you know, the silence is there and the human inclination is to fill the silence. But if you're the interviewer, you want your subject to be the one filling the silence and feeling the pressure of the silence. And he does that quite well, which is kind of interesting because then for the next 40 minutes of the film, it's all about how bad David Frost is and how he's getting creamed by Nixon. But I thought both performances were amazing. But Langella, in this, there were a couple of times where he had Nixon down so beautifully, even when he was taking in a breath, it, it rang very true. I've spent some time watching various uh, Nixon videotapes for um, various reasons, and um, that rang very, very true to me uh, in, in the portrayal of Nixon. The thing that struck me the most, though, was, was that coming away from this movie, if you didn't know about Watergate and you didn't know about all the things Nixon did— you get these two moments. The phone call is one moment. The other is when Frost goes to visit him right before leaving, and Nixon pulls him aside and says, you know, when you go to all of these parties, do you enjoy them? And Frost says yes, and Nixon says, uh, you know, gosh, that you're so lucky. And it was another one of these moments where you were getting the, the sort of, here's the movie in short, a short little moment. If you didn't get it, here it is right now, And because Nixon says maybe you should have been the president and I should have been the hard-nosed interviewer. It made Nixon seem like a human person that you could sympathize with. And the film didn't do much to demonstrate or give you the same kind of emotional connection with all that Nixon did that was wrong. So now, you know, 30-some-odd years later, people watching who don't have a real uh, bright sense of the wrongdoing will, I think, come away from this film feeling like Nixon, you know, well, did some bad things perhaps, but, you know, kind of a human guy. And and it was a failure of the heart, not the head, to steal a, a line from the interview that Nixon uses. So the moment that we, we keep circling around, which is the, you know, kind of confessional, the, the, the confession, more or less, the closest thing he'll get to a confession that David Frost rings out of, of Richard Nixon in these interviews, comes about because he somehow trapped Nixon into saying that he had performed acts in office that were not legal, things related to the Watergate cover-up, but that if the president does something, it's automatically legal. How does he phrase it exactly, John? Now I can't remember. Well, he, he says that. Is, is he tries, he's building, you see him building a rationalization for himself, and then Nixon just says that, um, that when a president does something, it is, it, it is by definition legal. Right, which is essentially a near verbatim quote of, of I would assume, the, the nugget of those interviews. Is that right? Yes. I mean, that's the, that, that is the key. It's, he, he then gives a kind of apology for what he did, which is another important element. But that seems to me to be the kind of central 
point of Nixon, which, which is that, that, you know, in this whole question of executive power and abuse of power, I mean, he's not apologizing for it. He's showing you it. Right. He is demonstrating it right. in, in, in his answer there. And that's also the scene in the movie, at least in the screening we attended, that got the biggest and bitterest laugh. And I think that that laugh had to do with parallels to the Bush administration and people thinking about, you know, our contemporary moment. That's exactly right. And I think the, the the question we have to wrestle with is that in Nixon's case, he was abusing power to basically cover his tracks and his the tracks he was covering were personal political ones. In other words, this was all to keep Nixon in office to further his political life and goals. Now, you can attenuate it and say, well, that was all he wanted to be in office so he could do these various things. But it was mostly to save his hide and protect himself. Bush's abuses of power have largely been of a different sort. They have been in what he thinks, you know, is is an attempt to protect an, uh, the country and fight the war on terror. So it's slightly different. Now, to be uh, com- comprehensive, we also don't know. We're also at an earlier part in the timeline in the Bush uh, administration. We may find in 30 some odd years that there were instances here in which power was abused. Now, But we have to speculate about that. If for right now, the parallel seems to have that disconnect between the way in which uh, Nixon abused power and the way Bush did. Finally, I would just say Nixon was, was talking about his own political uh, survival. The, the uh, relationship to the Vietnam War was was a little bit more distant. In this case, you could make the case that, that Bush's abuse of power, if you believe in it, led to several hundreds of thousands of deaths of Americans and Iraqis. And so, while it's of a different order, it's of it's all of a worse magnitude. Right. Is there any way you can imagine three years after leaving office that that Bush would give such a series of interviews to some hypothetical British journalist, or he's just not introspective enough, introspective enough that that could ever happen? It's a it's a great question. He is not introspective. Of course, not, and Nixon wasn't really either. Nick, um, it's interesting. Bush is giving his exit interviews now as he leaves office, and, and he's inching towards kind of a frost moment. Only inching, though. In, in an interview with Charlie Gibson, he said that he regretted, and remember, this is a president who for many years has never admitted mistakes, or to the extent he has said, well, I phrased some things incorrectly. He said that he regretted that the intelligence about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq was faulty. Now, that's not saying I regret my decision to act on that intelligence. That would be the next step. But it is a further step than he has taken before. So um, there is this feeling about, you know, a sense of regret that that comes uh, to presidents. And so we might, we might, who knows, in three years get a little uh, something more out of him. Uh, we haven't seen um, Bill Clinton talk about any of his regrets uh, in this kind of way. So maybe, maybe you'll be the one to do it, John. It could be. We, Start prepping we, uh, now. <laughs> that's right. It'll, it'll take that long. Get Sam Rockwell and Oliver Platt on the phone. Quick. It'll be your backup team. All right. Well, John, thanks a lot. Um, it was a fascinating conversation. Thanks for getting on the phone to discuss Frost Nixon with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.